Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to another season of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. This is the sixth season of the podcast, and we're into our third year since the podcast began in 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as sponsor and agreed to fund this podcast for another season. We really are privileged to have such a global leader in CFDs trading as our podcast sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe to bring you their market insights. I'll be digging in to find out what makes them tick, how they see the markets in the year ahead, and what techniques they will use to succeed in the markets. Some of the guests will be returning guests from previous seasons, and some will be new guests that I've managed to convince to join me to give up their time and share their insights. As we enter 2023, there's as much uncertainty as ever around where the markets may be headed in the next 12 months. We've just come off a horrid year for investors in 2022, where a typical 60-40 portfolio delivered its worst annual return in several decades. But what of 2023? Will the US lead the world into a global recession, or will the central banks manage to achieve a soft landing for the global economy? Will inflation come under control as base effects kick in and supply bottlenecks open up? Will US earnings hold up in the face of a weak economy, or will they disappoint? Will we see continued weakness in the US dollar? I'll be asking these and many other questions to my guests in the coming weeks. The idea behind these podcasts is for you to get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of this is intended to be seen as financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking and to weigh up what possible paths the market may follow in the year ahead. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified of upcoming episodes as they get released. Once again, thanks to IG for sponsoring this podcast for a third consecutive year. Thanks for joining me, and please enjoy Season 6 of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders. And this episode I've been particularly excited about because the guest that I've managed to, to nail down for this episode is someone who I have a hell of a lot of respect for. His name is Steve Ward. He's an author of four books, or is it five books, Steve? Uh, four in a journal. Four in a journal, right? Um, the most prominent or certainly for me the most prominent recently being bulletproof trader which is is one of the best trading books i've ever read i've read it three times so i've listened to it because I, I do the audio books um absolutely brilliant work but I, mean, I don't want to give the, the game away too much steve let i'm going to welcome you to the podcast and off, I'll ask you just to introduce yourself and give us give a little bit of background to who you are before we get into what we're really going to talk about today yeah, well, great. Well, thanks for the for the intro. Uh, glad you've enjoyed the book. Uh, yes, yeah, so my name's Steve Ward. Uh, I guess my title is Trader Performance Coach or Trading Performance Consultant. Uh, work with predominantly institutional traders, the so traders working at banks, hedge funds, commodities trading houses, energy firms, prop trading groups. Been doing that since February 2005, so just over 18 years. Uh, all over the globe, those traders trade across all different asset classes in as many different styles of trading as you can imagine um and it goes from i guess traders who are coming into the markets for the first time as kind of new new traders so grads typically right through to some of my clients who are 
you know, very top end and probably in the markets 25, maybe some 30 years plus. So the whole experience range prior to working in trading, worked as a sports psychology coach uh, with athletes and teams at international Olympic level, 33 different sports from memory. Wow. And along the way, I've dabbled a little bit with some uh, poker players on the European Pro Tour as well. So, yeah, brilliant. So it's all high performance stuff, uh, and 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 trading is a high performance activity at the end of the day. So I guess it's yeah. no surprise that you've evolved into the trading world. Going back to your 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 most recent book, Bulletproof Trader. Um, the term bulletproof, I know it has a sort of a military connotation yeah, and it's not, yeah. you, you said to me before, and it's got nothing to do with military, <laughs> no. which of course it's not. But but in a, in a way, like bulletproof has, has different meanings to different people. And I, I want to get your interpretation of it. Yeah, The military part of it, I, I, if, if I can just say before you say anything, I, I kind of felt military is very disciplined, rigorous processes, proper stuff. That yeah. was the, the the military connotation, and yeah. obviously bulletproof. You can also then well bulletproof. What is your interpretation? What does it mean to be bulletproof? Yeah. Well, the the title for the book. I mean, as you said, I've done a few books now, and what I've tried to do in each book is try to make it slightly different, so give it a different theme. So, this book arose, or the title came from. Let's address the title first. The title came from some work I was doing with a hedge fund manager, very experienced, very successful, very well regarded in the industry. And he'd asked me for some coaching. And as I always do in the early session, you need to find out what people want coaching for. You know, why are we why are we here? That's my typical question. Mm. And he was discussing the fact he's been doing well. He's on a really good run, had had a continuous period of success for many, many years. But in his mind, it was arising, you know, well, what would happen if suddenly things change? What happens if suddenly I have a really big period of drawdown or if the markets collapse? When you've been on a on a on a good run for a period of time, you haven't really practiced being resilient or dealing with with, with tough times. So that was in his mind, and so we were exploring that. And he said to me, "Do you know what, Steve?" He said, "The best way I can describe it is, I want your coaching to help me to bulletproof myself." Right. So, so it came from him. So I, I then said, "Okay, well, what does that mean?" Because as as you know, if we asked. 100 people what does bulletproof mean in the context of trading we'll probably get some crossover some similarity but we might get obviously some differences as well so i have to always it's like confidence motivation it means different things to different people so i asked him to define it now for him what he wanted was he was somebody who was particularly prone to a lot of mind chatter very self very very self-critical when things weren't going well and wanted to kind of be able to manage that more effectively very strong, intense emotions that he felt when he was having tough times in the markets around losses that he wanted to kind of, again, just not get rid of. He was, you know, he's an intelligent, experienced trader. He knows he can't get rid of it, but wants to be able to work with that more effectively. Wants to basically have a skill set that means that if things do go wrong outside of the normal range, he feels he's got the ability to cope with that in an effective way. Now, at the same time as this, I was doing quite a lot of work with some clients who were having had traders who were having tough times in the markets for different reasons. Um, in trading, always, it's a theme of my coaching is people having a tough time. And so I thought, actually, maybe it's worthwhile doing a book that specifically addresses the fact that trading is tough and challenging. Uh, I mean, if we look purely at taking losses, the reason why lots of traders are unsuccessful is just dealing with losses, the challenge of that. So and then give people a, 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 some tools, some strategies to to be able to navigate you know, the challenges that come in trading. So that's kind of how it that's where the title came from. 
And that's where the kind of the theme evolved from. Okay. All right. Well, it's a superb book. As I say, I've, I've listened to it three times. And if any listeners to this podcast have not read or listened to that book, I can highly recommend it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Trading involves a lot of uncertainty. Um, we're playing a probabilities game at the end of the day. There's no guarantees with any particular trading setup. And, and that uncertainty introduces discomfort. And a, a big part of trading is, I guess, is being comfortable, being uncomfortable, mm. which, which is a strange paradox. But th- these, these are critical skills if you want to be successful as a trader. But these skills, are they innate skills, do you think, or are they skills that can be learned by anybody? I mean, the, what's important is you're using the word skill. Mm. I would also use the word skill. And if we use the word skill, then we would inherently use that word believing that obviously it's something that is trainable. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So in my coaching, I teach most things as skills, mainly because at the mindset level, if we appreciate something as a skill, then we've probably got some belief and efficacy that we can improve it. So that's obviously important. Yeah. Now, obviously, all of us are born with certain, you know, uh, genetic dispositions, perhaps Um, some of that activates early on, some of it activates later through practice so some of them are thought some genes are dormant until we use them but we're going to have some dispositional tendencies from birth and then it's really a fact you know it's really environment and experiences are the other two kind of forces that shape who we become yeah so some people in their early lives will be exposed to having to deal with lots of discomfort by the nature of where they might be born it could be you know temperature discomforts if you're born in very cold or very hot countries it could obviously be you know uh, cultural discomforts social familial and so on so those early years are going to be shaping people. Now, likewise, when we're in the markets, you know, when we're in the markets, we're having an experience um, in certain environments and that will shape us. So yes, we we are shaped. We can train it. We can develop it. And I think probably the, a useful metaphor, um, but also real life experience, if you think about physical training. So anybody who's, you know, been to the gym, lifted weights, uh, done endurance sports, for example, try to get faster, the way that the body adapts and becomes faster or stronger um, or goes for longer is through exposure to stress. Yeah. It's a physiological stress to the body, which mm-hmm. it then learns to basically, we get this process called supercompensation. The body then adapts to that stress or prepares itself for the next level of stress for the next dose of training. And over time, we become stronger. So the exposure to discomfort is actually what strengthens us. Yeah. If people avoid doing endurance training or they avoid speed training or they avoid strength training they won't get stronger in any of those particular um skills or or um yeah skill sets so the same thing happens psychologically you know if we are exposed to discomfort then actually what happens is it's through the exposure to discomfort a we will get physiological adaptation which is always useful because mind and body are working in a system they're not two separate entities But also in the moments of discomfort and only in those moments are when we get to practice the skills of being uncomfortable. Yeah. So the so, yes, it is trainable uh, and we know that and you can measure it. So we know we know it's, you know, research, you can measure it physiologically, you can measure it psychologically in terms of coping skills. Um, But it is important that we all recognize that the, the process of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable is by being uncomfortable. Yeah. And what that means is the first mental skill that is really important is the skill of willingness. It's the skill of being willing to put yourself into uncomfortable situations. 
with the knowledge that if I do so, actually, that's where I'm going to get the adaptive physiological impact and I'm going to learn the coping skills. Then when I go into the next uncomfortable situation, the physiological response is slightly lower. My efficacy and my ability to cope is slightly higher. I get a slightly better experience. Now I'm a bit more willing to go into the next one. And over time, what happens is I form this kind of narrative that actually I can deal with difficult situations. They might feel uncomfortable, but I can manage them much like people who run. You know, they over time, they good runners relish the hard run. They know it's going to be painful. You know, cyclists, you know, it's a, it's a sport of suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, but, but the best cyclists relish the suffering. Yeah. And, and in a way, trading is similar where often, and I've had traders tell me often some of their best trades have been the most uncomfortable ones. Mm. And if they'd avoided the discomfort, they would not have made anywhere near the amount of PL that they made on that trade. So it's, it's almost, as you said, it's a paradox. You know, it's that yeah. willingness to be uncomfortable in the short term often so we can relish the long term gains. And the payoff is if people are trading to be comfortable, then they're probably also sacrificing long term gain, i.e., reduce market returns. Mm-hmm. So interesting. In, in the context of that, just talking about the backgrounds of people that you spoke about, people come back from, come from different, uh, different backgrounds. Is there a correlation in your experience with the, the, the successful traders that you've worked with that some of them come from challenged backgrounds more so than, than those who come from privileged backgrounds? Or is that, is, is that not the case? Well, I think I think I mean, I've worked with thousands of traders and, and you can get success in many different ways. So there's more than one force that's being applied. You know, I mean, there is a in sport uh, for sure. There's been research that shows that people who have come from difficult backgrounds uh, that does provide some edge in terms of resiliency in high level sport. Because you've had to, you know, you've, you've learned to deal with suffering and, and tough and, you know, and, and endure toughness from yeah. a very early age. Yeah. So then when you get, you know, you've got the skill set. If life has been easy and comfortable. And I've seen this in some clients. Yeah. I've, I've had a client say to me when he had his first period of drawdown, probably in his mid-20s, he said to me, this is the first time in my life. So you know, let's say he's 25, 26, the first time in my life I've ever really struggled with anything. Comfortable Amazing. upbringing, yeah. good at sport, natural sports person, you know, good academically, sailed through all his exams, played high level sport. You know, so there was stresses and pressures but not that real sense of struggle that some people essentially are born into. Um, in special forces, if you look at SAS, mm. there's a high correlation between people in SAS and people that have come from very tough disadvantaged backgrounds. So there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, a toughening process. On the yeah. flip side, of course, if you come into trading, maybe life's been more comfortable and maybe you're more financially comfortable yeah. and you've got parents that you could rely on so that should I lose my money now, I'm not homeless. Mm. There's a there's a there's a comfort and a freedom to knowing that I'm not desperate for money while I'm trading. So, yeah. you know, it, it, I think it can play out in in different ways again, yeah. and also depending on all the other factors around that contextually, and also the inside the person outside of those that that one dimension as such. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. I, I want to talk to you, Steve, about journaling. I know this is something you're very big on, so big in fact that you you you've published the Trader's Mind Journal, which we'll yep. talk about in a, in a moment. Uh, but I, I've certainly applied some of the journaling techniques that you talk about in in Bulletproof Trader. And and I must say that I've noticed a, a marked improvement in my general approach to trading, general feeling of well-being. Uh, 
And, 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 and the things that are included in the journal are, are quite interesting. And I want to chat to you about this and ask you, A, obviously you think it's important for trading. So I'm not, I'm not going to say, do you think it's important? Yep. It, it, it is important. We know this. Um, but more particularly, what aspects do you think should be covered in a journal for a trader? Okay. So there are different types of journals. I think that's important to, to recognize. So we might have the traditional, let's call it the trading log. You know, so I keep a record of here's the trade I made. Here's when I made it, entries, exits, position sizing, how I managed the trade and a mm -hmm. review of the trade. So, yeah. and, and again, I think that's a fundamental process to have in place for all traders. It gets tricky for some of my traders who are trading hundreds of times per day. So that's yeah. done in a different way. But for most people trading maybe from home, making a few trades a day, that's for me, it's a basic discipline. Yeah. The the other side of, of the journal is for me is, is the person who is the trader. So it's the psychological journal. And it's also the journal which covers two key themes, which are self-awareness and self-improvement. So for me, the core focus of the journal is to enable a person to increase their levels of self-awareness around thought patterns, emotional patterns, behavioral patterns, so they can start to get a sense of what they are. Uh, which is good, then with that awareness, not to have awareness for the sake of awareness, but to have that awareness so we get the reflective process. Hopefully we get some insights into what we're doing. And then what the journal is ideally placed to do is to then turn that into action. The person can then take action on that. Again, now they're reflecting on the action they've taken. So it's always reflection, insight, action. And through that process, over time, hopefully make changes around mindset, around how they manage emotions, how they manage their behaviors, you know, forming habits, processes, such that through the process, there is like an evolution of the person. So for, for me, journaling just for the sake of journaling is just a waste of time. Yeah. For me, it has, you know, it's for anything, what's the intention behind it? Why am I doing this? Why am I going to commit time and energy to this? What is the value? And so in the journal that, 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 I, that we've created, the Trader's Mind Journal, that's what it's really about. It's about a combination of awareness raising, so reflective questions, but it's also about mental preparation, which I think is really important, turning up mm -hmm. to the markets ready, mentally and emotionally, as well as technically and tactically. And then having that process of, of improvement through you know goal setting, um, maybe it's weekly improvement targets in terms of behaviors to improve and work on, uh, creating the process, reflect on the process, reflect on yourself. Uh, so I'll say, yes, yeah, self-awareness, self-improvement really is, is kind of the core to that and yeah, um, yeah. I think people who, who do it long enough you see the value in doing that but there's also an extra value which is really important which is when we get the chance to write down our thoughts and to write down our emotions particularly how we're thinking and feeling about ourselves and the markets in those moments what we are doing which is really powerful is we are recognizing that these are thoughts and feelings we have about the market that we are writing down yeah. So it might be, for example, that I'm um, really angry about what I've done. Maybe I've broken one of my rules and I feel really angry about that. Yeah. And I'm, I, in the moment, I might just think, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm angry about that. And then I'm kind of in the emotion of anger. But once I get into the journaling and I start to write down about, you know, here's what I did in the markets and it made me feel angry. So now yeah. I notice that I'm writing down that I had a feeling that yeah. I call anger about yeah. something that I did. Yeah. And that's called diffusion. And what it does is it kind of creates a space between the experience we had and and us as the person, which is really powerful. And there's a, there's a, there's a processing 
that goes on while we're doing that. So it's quite cathartic. Uh, and the research, again, supports that. You know, people who write down about their emotions and their thoughts on a regular basis, increased objective well-being, reduced levels of stress measured by cortisol, the stress hormones are measured biologically. Um, so it does have a real, you know, psychological and physical impact on us, that process, which again is important because you don't want to be carrying the frustrations and the emotions and the thoughts of today's trading into tomorrow's mm. so we need that way of kind of almost you know in a crude terminology metaphorically like flushing the toilet we need to kind of get the stuff out reset go again and if, if we're not getting it out then where where is it it's it's in and if it's in and maybe we're not as aware of it then it's influencing outside of conscious awareness and we'll only notice it when we look back yeah 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 okay <clears throat> just to look at some of the stuff i do in my own journal and, and some of this certainly has been inspired by the things that i've that i've done or the read and uh listened to in, in bulletproof trading and things i i'm i'm very interested in the physiological link between the physiological yeah. well-being and the psychological well-being of trading so to, to to that extent some of the stuff that i include in my journal every day is i i all right. How do I feel on a scale of one to ten? With zero being very unhappy and you know, with and ten being elated, right? On a, on where is it, right? Yeah. Um, and then other phys- physiological stuff like how much, how many glasses of water did I drink today? Hydration is an important part of our physiology. Have I done any exercise today? How much sleep did I get last night? Um, you know, these sort of things. And I just plot them in the journal. And what's interesting and I've found over the years is that I then go back over time and actually look at these metrics. Because these are things you can obviously measure, you know, how yep. many hours of sleep did you get? You, you can you can check it. It's so interesting that there's a, a very positive correlation between the well how well I'm trading and how well I'm feeling. So, you know, if I'm if I'm regularly feeling like a seven or an eight or a nine out of ten you know, day after day after day. Well, strangely enough, that's a time when I'm generally trading well and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know whether one causes the other, but there's obviously a, a causal relationship, I suppose. Yeah. If yeah. I'm trading well, making money, I feel happy. But it's also a case that I think if I'm feeling happy and, you know, a beat about life, maybe I make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, it's a good thing to bring up because I, I a lot of my work, whilst it might be performance and psychology, a big piece of my work is also physiology. So I'm like a mind-body guy. That's, I, yeah. I, I, you know, they, for me, it's not two separate entities. So the brain sits inside the body. Brain's about 2% of our body weight, and it's about 20 to 25% of our calorific consumption. Okay. And it's most energy-hungry when we are doing things like planning, decision-making, strategizing, when we're exercising self-control and willpower. So anything kind of higher-level cortical functioning requires more fuel. Now, if you think about trading, it's decision-making, it's risk-taking. We're navigating uncertainty. We have to plan. We have to react. We have to exercise self-control and discipline. All that's high-order brain function. So if the brain is under-fueled, if there's not sufficient resources in the brain to do that or to do it well, then it will play out in our trading. And this is why with my institutional clients over the last probably seven or eight years, we've done increasingly larger amounts of work around the physiology. And, and you know, you talked about trading well. I see that's the phrase I use, but yeah. it's two edged trading well, as in I'm trading well, as in I feel well. 
and I'm trading well, as in I'm making good trading decisions. Mm. So for me, you know, trading well, if you think about well-being and then high performance, people often think about, you know, I want to be a high performance. I want to trade well, but mm. they don't appreciate the importance of well-being in enabling you to trade well yeah. as such. Yeah. And so for me, and this is true in all high performance, and we're seeing it now in sport where they've been two almost separate entities. They go, no, you can't separate well-being and high performance. They go hand in hand. You have yeah. to look at both. And, and it's true for traders yeah. uh, and investors exactly the same. You know, the state of the body will impact the state of the brain. In, you know, our capacity to make good decisions or our capability to make good decisions depends on our capacity that's available. So sleep, hydration, as you said, Garth, nu- nu- nutrition, feeling rested and recovered, um, our level of physical fitness and yeah. well-being, all of that at some level is impacting what goes on um cognitively and emotionally so yeah. um so yeah and again you're right you know we can do that in very simple ways just recording down hours of sleep um we could record down um just as you did you know mood yeah. um i often get all we do in, in the trader's mind journal we have a you know a one to five scale for stress so just feeling of stress one for energy just very simple day-to-day subjective mm. uh self-calibration uh, but again if you do it regularly then it becomes quite useful. I've got some traders that do that during the course of the day. So they track stress, energy, and mood, start of trading day, mid trading day, end of trading day. Some do it every hour. It just depends right. on what, you know, whatever's useful. Yeah. But again, subjective, other traders, other clients, obviously we've got wearables now. So yeah. we use the wearables. We've also got some higher level, more clinical grade te- technology that we use as well. So we can capture the data and the stats um, because things like stress and fatigue particularly do play out in terms of risk aversion if you're highly stressed and you're highly fatigued you become more risk averse as a general rule for most people right so it does impact decision making it does impact risk sensitivity so it does matter and you know it's, it's another thing which well, actually we have some controllability over mm. you know we can't control the market but we can control how we arrive at the market psychologically yes physiologically and so on or we certainly have higher levels of control over that yeah i guess we have we have control over the habits we form and 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 forming good habits ultimately i guess will feed into better performance as a trader over time yeah i mean in any given in any given moment you can make or lose money and it can be as much down to luck as anything else Mm. so you know just Mm. because you are healthy fit and well doesn't mean in the very next moment you're going to make a great decision. Yeah, but you're more yeah. you're more likely to. Yeah, that well, I mean, I, I often liken that and the, the consistency of trading it is it's like playing golf. You know, anyone can hit a good golf shot down the middle of the fairway. You know, or, or sink a thirty foot putt. You yeah. can do it once. Can you do it shot after shot after shot consistently? Well, most people can't, and it's yeah. about the habits that you build up to Correct. to get to that point. Agreed. Um. I, I mean, the, the connections between sport or any high performance activity and, and trading is always fascinating. But the one big difference that traders have, I guess, is that this is a game that never ends. Yeah, like in most high performance activities, be it a sport or even a poker game or you know whatever, there's there's a there's a start and there's a defined end, and then there's a you know period where you're not on the field, you're recovering. Yep. In trading. It, I mean, even though the market sort of, sort of opens in the morning and closes in the evening, it, the game doesn't stop. The, the game's still going on during the night while you're sleeping. So that can really be quite uh, quite challenging, and it can it can burn us out. So, uh, how do we how do we deal with that? How do we 
you know, make sure that we're getting enough recovery so that we don't burn out as traders. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Just a quick break in the podcast to let listeners know that Steve has kindly agreed to offer a £5 discount on the price of the latest edition of the Trader's Mind Journal. If you'd like to take advantage of this, please go to www.thetradersmindjournal.com and enter the discount code TWTPOD5, the number 5, to get your copy with a £5 discount off the retail price. That's www.thetradersmindjournal.com, all one word, and the discount code is TWTPOD5. Now back to the podcast. It's an interesting one, and you're right. I mean, it, it, because I came from sport, people often ask me, you know, what are the similarities between sport and trading? And there are some, but there's also multiple differences. And that's mm. a great example of one of them. You know, trading is almost, uh, you know, you're playing five days a week, five and a bit days a week sometimes. Um, and you can play, you know, most days of the year. Very few sports are like that at mm. all. Um, which means there's two things, really. One, actually, interestingly, is about just practice time. Because, you know, how do you get good at trading? How do you get good at anything? You get good by practice. Yeah. Um, and obviously in sport, you play, then you practice. But in trading, it's quite hard, you know, that, particularly for my my guys who are, you know, in the markets as professionals. So then to find time to practice, they're not going to go on to a sim, for example. So yeah. the whole concept of what is practice, what does that look like for traders is quite interesting. And then yeah. the other one, as you said, is, is recovery. Uh, I mean, the basic formula. So from the way I frame it with my clients is about sustainable High performance trading. So how would you perform well as a trader ongoing over time? Not one good year, not two good years, not five good years, but 10, 15, 20 years of, yeah. of good trading. And a part of that obviously is about you've got to be skillful at, at trading. A part of it is you've got to be able to adapt and flex to different market conditions and context because obviously markets will change over the long run, that's for sure. Mm. But you've and you've and the third part is probably mental stamina. So you've got to sustain motivation and commitment to doing the work. But the fourth piece, which really underpins all of that, is you've got to be physiologically able to turn up each day mm. in a decent in decent shape. And what that means is the two key levers that affect that are stress and recovery. So and this is where we use our, you know, our, our data capture is we basically monitor traders stress levels and we monitor their recovery levels. Now, if there's too much stress and not enough recovery, essentially, if you go back to the sports metaphor, if you keep training hard, mm. but you never recover, you stress the muscle, it doesn't recover, eventually it breaks down, you get injured. Yeah. If you don't do any stress and you only recover, I, this is, and this is about avoiding discomfort, if you're only yeah. recovering and you're never stressing, you won't improve. So that the, the, the crux in the middle is to get that stress recovery balance right. And the challenge of trading is that the, the trading day can be long and can be challenging. Markets can still be going on behind you as you're sleeping as such. Mm. And obviously, if you've got big positions held overnight, for example, for some people, that's going to, you know, that does inhibit them sleeping well. Um, mm. Some traders choose not to carry overnight positions because they find for them, it's just too challenging. So they have to adapt the game to play it so it works for them. And that's what I think people have to recognize is, you know, where does my stress come from? How do I manage that in terms of the markets I trade, how I trade and the risks that I take? And then 
once I kind of learn how to manage the stresses, I've got to look at also and how am I balancing that with recovery? You know, if I'm a intensive intraday trader, can I find ways of taking short breaks during the day just to recover and recharge? Yeah. Um, how do I recover at the end of the trading day? How do I make sure I'm sleeping well? Which really the fundamental process for recovery for humans is sleep as well as you can. And we do a lot of work on that with our clients about making sure they sleep well then recover as much as you can. And another piece I think that's interesting, and I see this in my own clients, is making sure that they take strategic um, recovery breaks, i.e. holidays, during the course of the year. Because lots of people, they either love trading and want to be in the markets all the time, or you get caught in the trap of, I'm making money, so I don't want to take a holiday because I'm making money. Yeah. Or I'm losing money, and I don't want to take a holiday because I want to make my money back. <laughs> and it, it might mean that with the cycle of trading, you never, ever go on holiday. Yeah. Now, and I've had, I've had traders uh, with firms that I've worked with who have gone three years and never taking a day off trading. Wow. Not a day off. Sure. Not one single day off trading. Uh, but, and it all sounds great and very admirable and so on, um, and they're enthusiastic about it, but it's unsustainable. And, it, and that that firm had a high level of trader burnout. And this is mm. where probably going back seven, eight years now, I really kind of got into this, this, this work around the physiology so we could start to track it and to make sure that, that people were enforced to take breaks X number of days per year. Not you can take it if you want to. This is the minimum you're going to have to take per year. Um, mm. So we could try and sustain them ongoing so yeah. um yeah it's really important and i think it's just a case of everyone's different everyone's tolerances is different um most people who trade generally enjoy being in the markets and, and that's good of course but of course that desire to want to be in the markets all the time yeah. have to be tempered with but i also need to make sure that i'm getting sufficient recovery so that yeah. when i'm in the markets i am in the market and yes. i'm not kind of absent half here half there and, and so so you know it's, it's yeah. It's being able to bring your best self to the market as often as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. On, on this theme, uh, you know, there's obviously different styles of trading. There's there's those that are very intense intraday trades. Like you said, some of your clients yeah. make hundreds of trades per day. Yeah. And then there's the other extreme, which is fairly less active, let's call it. Um, have you noticed a correlation between those traders who who make it into the long term? And you said you've got guys who've been at this for 25, 30 years. Yeah. I, I, I can only imagine that those traders who are banging away at the buttons, making hundreds and hundreds of trades per day, I mean, that, that, that's got to surely have a finite lifespan. Um, is the, do, do you find that those who've been at this game for a long time and, and done it into a sort of an, old, an older age, have a particular style that is not as intense? As a general rule, I would say yes. People, you know, people change maybe the time frames, they change the approach. To, so it's a little bit slower. You know, mm. it, it, again, it's, it's probably the word I would use. It's not true for all. I've got some uh, older, I mean, older in trading, like older in football. It's not old in real terms, but <laughs> I've got some older traders who are still, I would say, they're not like, you know, um, super intense, but they're still quite intense and active in their trading styles and they like it. It's kind of who they are. They still got good energy. They look after themselves well. And so they're maybe, you know, outperforming what a typical person of their age would do probably in all areas of life because they see themselves as high performer. They, they eat like a high performer. They sleep like a high performer. They behave like a high performer. So they're kind of, they're able to do that, but they won't be able to do it forever. That's for yeah. sure. Cause it, it is intense. It um, is. 
the general trend that I see or I have seen in my experience is that people people who start off as high intensity traders stay that way while they're young. Um, they enjoy it. They've got the energy. You know, they they can do the long hours um, for for a number of years, whatever that is. Let's say maybe it's ten or so, and then they tend to realise that actually it's quite hard to sustain. And actually, what 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 people often don't want to do is they don't want to have to be at the screen every day. So some people mm. might you know get married, have children, so their kind of context changes, and they realise actually who they are now as they've transitioned and who they want to become in the future. It's not going to be conducive to having to be at the screen every day and being intense, not just from an energy perspective, but also from a time and a values and yeah. how else I want to spend my time perspective. So yeah. they might then shift and change their approach to markets to not just to cope for kind of the aging process as such, but also for that kind of life transition process. Um, mm. And I think, you know, I think this is why it's, it's always really important. And it's come up probably a few times in the background of our conversation is the context in which people trade is so important. You know, everyone is very different. You know, yeah. everyone could trade a different market in a different way because they've got different personalities, different strengths, different interests, different home backgrounds, different financial backgrounds. So everyone's context, and you know, this is why when people say to me, you know, what are the common cures for these trading problems? Every common trading problem has on the surface looks the same. Oh, this person doesn't take their stops. This person doesn't run their winners. This person finds it hard to pull the trigger. But each of those people is very, very different with different, you know, they are different now. They've come from yeah. different learning backgrounds and kind of biographies. Mm -hmm. uh, why they do what they do could be completely different, even though on the surface it looks the same. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a huge amount of uniqueness in trading, which I think is really important because people need to recognize in terms of making it work for you. You've also got to recognize that you are unique and like no other. And it's kind of shaping it to make it work for you. Uh, in your context as it is now and as it might be in the future mm, mm, okay okay uh, you you told a story which i'd like to just hear from your mouth again uh, on on the alpha mind podcast with steve goldstein and mark randall um and i've i've had both of them on this podcast before yeah. and i've used Stephen goldstein as as my trading coach fantastic guy the story that you told, I loved, it, it was about a client of yours who came from the fishing business and now just started to, to get into trading yeah, and that, yeah. and there were parallels. And, and, and the, I mean, just tell the story because it's there's actually some remarkable parallels between fishing and yeah. trading. Let's hear it. Let's, yeah. let's hear okay. it from your, from your mouth, please, yeah, Steve. Okay. So this was um, a person I came to know really as a friend, but started off as, yeah, as, as a client. He'd come from the offshore fishing industry, so not not you know not a rod in a lake, but you know out in a boat, owned the boat, skipper of the boat, owned his own boat, mm -hmm. uh, was very successful. So it's important we recognise a very successful fisherman, probably um, one of the most successful. And um, he got older, and obviously fishing's hard, and it's you know it's a very dangerous occupation, and he wanted to do something different. And he'd he'd kind of got interested in markets, and he was taking up trading. And I met him probably when he'd been trading maybe a year or two so he kind of gone through the big the beginner phase you know made some mistakes but he was he was getting good getting really good and um we, we were just talking and, and i'm i'm curious if you're really good at fishing if you're really good at anything that's yeah. interesting right so if i meet someone and they say to me oh steve you know and i find that they're really good at chess i want to ask lots of questions how do you get good at chess if you're really good at fishing that's interesting how do, you know what does that even mean what is good at fishing versus somebody else how do you measure it but of course they measure it in in, in revenue 
Yeah. That's the simple metric. Same as in trading, yeah, to a mm. degree. So I asked him, you know, what do you think it is that's made you successful in fishing? And is there anything that translates into what you do in your approach to markets? That's what I was really curious about. Mm. And he said, well, there's probably a few things. One is preparation. So he said, you know, what he does and what he would say the good fishermen do is before they go out into the ocean, they spend a lot of time preparing, you know, looking at the charts, looking at, you know, where the fish have been recently, checking the weather, oceanography, as much as you can. Mm. And then he said, what we try and do in his approach is we work out where we think the fish are going to be or where they're going to arrive to. It's not, we're not we're sort of going to where they are because obviously they're on the move. Where we think they're mm. going to be, we go there and we lay the nets and we wait. Mm. And some days you catch some fish, some days you catch no fish. And when you get it right, you get a lot of fish. And then we come back. Mm. So I said, so so what what is it that people are doing then who you think are less successful? What's kind of the the opposite of that? He said, well, what what other people do is they will wake up, they'll do a little bit of preparation, just enough, <laughs> hop in the boat, yeah. off they go. While they're going, they'll start doing a bit more preparation, and they're basically, as he would say, chasing fish. Oh. Yeah, so you're trying to find out where the fish are, and then you're almost kind of scooping off the back of of the shoal as such. Mm. Now, it's, what's interesting is in that approach, he says, on most days you go out to fish, you probably catch more often. So you get a catch more often by chasing fish, potentially. Okay, okay. But over time, the amount of fish you catch over a year is less than if you go out and lay your nets, where you might catch fish on less days, but when you catch them, you catch a lot of them. The other factor, of course, is that when your boat is stationary and you're waiting for fish, you are not burning up any fuel. Yeah. When you're chasing fish around the ocean every day, even when you're catching fish, you've got to offset that against essentially trading commissions, um, cost of cost of, of, of fuel. Mm. So the net revenue is not just how many days that you catch fish on, it's how many fish did you catch overall and what you pay what you get paid for those fish minus the cost of fuel and all other costs mm. now if we think about it in trading terms it's a bit like hit rate so if you go around chasing fish you might get a high hit rate i.e mm. number of days you catch fish yeah and, and that feels quite good you know it's like tra- if you have a if traders have an 80 percent hit rate or if they want that it feels good oh, i'm right eight times out of ten mm. feels good yeah but if you're not making much money by doing it is it the best approach versus if we look at payoff ratio, you know, how much do you make when you make and how much do you lose when you lose? That's a really important stat. And I think a lot of traders are drawn into the hit rate. I want to be right a lot. Yeah. Satisfies ego. It makes sense. People like to be right. We don't want to be wrong. We can understand that. But it's the hit rate combined with the payoff ratio, which is really critical. And what the fisherman did he's also sussed the fact that actually the payoff ratio is really key. It's not just on how many days I catch fish. It's how many fish I catch overall minus the cost of catching the fish. Mm. So I think it's a really interesting parallel. And some good research come out from a company called Essentia, Essentia Analytics. And they looked at hit rate and payoff ratio. And uh, some of the best performing fund managers that they, they track on their database and they're all high level were had hit rates of around 50 I think the highest person was 55%. Okay. And most were around 50. Okay. And I've seen similar data from a hedge fund I work with, very similar numbers, 
between sort of 45 and 55%, the best at 55, but it's the payoff ratio which separated the best revenue generators from the others. It wasn't really down to how often you were right or not because it was quite marginal. Yeah. But when you're right, how right are you? How many fish do you catch? And of course, the key word there that this guy told me was patience. Yes. <laughs> waiting. Do, doing, waiting. Yeah. Waiting. Do, doing nothing in trading is doing something. So. Inaction is action. There we go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and actually to be honest it needs to be seen that way i think sometimes there's a danger that people see inaction or doing nothing as a as a negative trading behavior yeah well if you think about recovery in sport which can also be seen as oh, i'm not doing anything mm. no recovery is a fundamental process in enhancing sports performance it's fundamental to trading performance and actually the ability to sit back and observe and wait is a key trading behavior that should be acknowledged as such. We could call it the observation phase, for example. You know, I prepare, I, idea generation. I'm sitting in front of the screens. Now I'm in observation mode. Mm. I'm not doing nothing. I'm observing. I'm waiting. And then at some point, I'm going to spot an opportunity and maybe I enter, manage, exit, and I'm back in the loop again. So I think we've got to kind of reframe that, that phase of, of the trading process so that people see it as not doing nothing. Yeah. It's, a, it's an active phase, but it's a different level of intensity. You know, in, yeah. as you go through from idea generation through that process down to trade exit, there's different emotional states, different levels of intensity as we go through them all mm. that are relevant to each stage, but they're all important in that process. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Steve, we, we, we're drawing towards the end of our, our time together, um, but I just want to chat to you about the Trader's Mind Journal, because I know you said that the the... the the website for that, I think, is being updated and should yep. be done by the time we uh, publish this podcast. Yep. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Traders Mind Journal is coming out version two. So it's a new edition. It's got a few additions in there um, to the original one, um, which is good. Hopefully it'll be out middle to end of March, depending on the printing um, times and so on. Right. Website, which will be www.the tradersmindjournal.com should be up hopefully by mid-march but if not okay. soon after that so if people are keen you can find it there um if not it'll be on my own website so performanceedgeconsulting.co.uk or if you're a retail trader tradeatyourbest.com it'll be available from those two sites as well so if you okay. can, yeah if you google steve war trader coach you'll, you'll i'm sure you better find it oh uh, yeah you'll be there's plenty yeah. yeah yeah brilliant and and just tell us about your other books. I mean, I've mentioned Bulletproof Trader, which yep. is a, is a must read. But you've done what you've done three other or two other trading books, and then a yep. sports sports yeah, book. Yeah, I'll give you the, the quick um, rundown of all of them. So, two thousand and nine first book, High Performance Trading, thirty five strategies, quite a broad brush for stroke across kind of trading in general. Uh, 2010, bit of a random one, sports betting to win, but it came from the publishers. I was at the time actually working for a sports betting hedge fund, so quite okay. interesting. Uh, and that's me to do a book for yeah sports betting psychology, which I did do. Mm -hmm. 2014, I think it was Trader Mind, which is uh, really applying sort of mindfulness type approaches to, to trading psychology. And then I think 2020 was Bulletproof Trader. And then obviously mm -hmm. trade, Trader's Mind Journal, I think it was 2021, I think, from mm. memory. So that's the sort of the basic, yeah. 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 Run yeah. through of those. So yeah. So they're yeah. all slightly they're all slightly different. Obviously, there's always some common themes, but but kind of approached in different ways. So um, that's how I've tried to do it over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I must say, yeah, so 
Brilliant. I mean, Bulletproof Trader was very different to most of the other trading books I've ever listened to. Extremely useful. No, that's I'm why, glad, I've, glad that's why I've listened to it three times. And I'll, and I'll no doubt listen to it again. You know, there's certain yeah. books I, I, I try and listen to once a year just yeah. to refresh. I'm, and, I'm the same. You know, I've, I've got obviously a host of books here behind me. This is just a showcase one. I've got another couple of bookshelves in the, in the house mm. and uh, some books you need to come back to. And actually, every time you listen to a book, or I find... I might get something slightly different from it, depending yep. on where I'm at or what I'm interested in or you know what mm. I'm looking for at a certain time. So there can be so, some value so, in rehearing. So true, so true. I mean, I, I've listened to and or read a number of trading books a few times, and it's amazing. You Each time you read it, you kind of think, gee, how, how did I not you know, <laughs> pick that up last yeah, time? Huh? It's, this is like a golden nugget of, of, of yeah. useful wisdom here. And I just yeah. obviously completely missed it the last time I read the book. So. Yeah, yeah I, I have the same thing. I picked up a book the other day that I haven't read for probably about three or four years. And even in the first five pages, I was like, this is great stuff. Yeah. I've almost forgotten all about it. I mean, it, it's, yeah. um, but I think when you read a lot and you're, there's so much information nowadays that we're absorbing, mm. I think it's hard for the brain to hold on to all of it. So that's why I think it's good to do a bit of a refresh and uh, yeah. 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 top up. Yeah. Just, just a note to, to any listeners, when you, if you do get Bulletproof Trade on Audible, as you'll know, Garth, obviously, it's a strange American guy doing the reading. It's not yes. me. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people say to me, oh, you didn't do the book reading, did you? I was like, no, I didn't. I outsourced that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, most of the audio books that I've listened to actually are outsourced. That they, they, right. they get a voiceover okay. artist to read it. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, look, I'm very privileged to have been able to speak to you today and get your voice on the podcast. Yeah. So, no, no, I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, thanks very much thanks for, for that. Invite. And 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 in terms of uh, where uh, traders, uh, anyone listening to this podcast can follow your work, where where do they do that? Yeah, so my sort of main website is performanceedgeconsulting.co.uk. That's predominantly institutional based, but yes. you know it'd be fine for most people. Uh, for retail slash or private traders, I I run a, a once a year trading psychology uh, course. There's a little website for that, tradeatyourbest.com, and um, and then if people are interested in connecting, I don't do really do any social media, but I am on LinkedIn. So if anybody is on LinkedIn and wants to connect on LinkedIn, then to Steve Ward, trading coach or trading psychology LinkedIn, that will uh, that will find me. Okay, super. And are you on Twitter or not? No, not Twitter, no. not Instagram, not okay. any other forms. Um, uh, yeah, just, probably just, a good just, thing actually. <laughs> They're all distractions. <laughs> I just find it so. I just find it so hard, you know, just to manage all that. I mean, it's hard yeah. enough, you know, to to run everything as it is now. I just find I. I don't have the the mental bandwidth to do if to do it properly. That's the thing, you know. You can have an account. I could, you know, put out some stuff randomly mm. now and again, but yeah. um, it wouldn't wouldn't be good quality on a consistent basis, which yeah. I think is really important. So yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. understandable. All right, Steve. Well, it's been absolute pleasure speaking to you, an honor as well. Uh, thanks so much for giving up forty five minutes of your time to be with me today. Uh, Very welcome. The, the, the listeners are in for a treat with this podcast. Th- thanks so much. No, no problem at all. Thanks for the invite, Garth. Appreciate right. it. Take care. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.